you please pray with me? Father, thanks for the words of that, that song, the encouragement, the challenge of our lives being uh, a story, the power of our story making a difference when we let others know about the difference that you've made in our lives. And most of us in the room, we can confess, we can uh, tell people, or we, we know of situations in which you've showed up and you've made a difference, but we're fearful, we're uncertain, we're unsteady, and sometimes we don't even know why. But I pray we'd be just encouraged by Paul's example, by the reminder that you're with us and for us as you, you want to speak through us in these opportunities. And that there's so many people dying to hear about a real hope and a real life God who shows up in real life ways. Let us live our lives like that. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a while back I I got to preach on um, what it means to live a good story. I'd read a book by Don Miller. It really made an impact on me. And I just was thinking, what's it mean for my life to be a story worth living, a good story? And I've been thinking about that uh, since that time, but especially as looking through the book of Acts, if you spent time reading through the book of Acts, it's an amazing story about how this little band of disciples who followed Jesus changed the world. And especially how Paul, as, as we get near the end of the book of Acts, he's going forward with such passion to let not only let his life be a good story, but tell the good story of his life, to tell the difference that Jesus made in his life, and it just flips an entire empire upside down through the, the words and the message and the witness of this one man. And so, as I've been preparing for this Sunday, I really, truly, I've just been thinking about one thing. Just this one thing, the whole time I've been thinking about this one thing. Hawaii is awesome. (laughs) I'm serious, guys. Hawaii is so awesome. Now, I grew up in the desert in Utah, but truly, I'm 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 an Oregonian now. I've been here nearly 20 years. I've got the web feed to prove it. I'm used to being waterlogged like 10 months out of the year. But I tell everybody, hey, I'm a big fan of this state. And so I tell everybody, you know, it's it's so great. It's so green. It's God's country. And I, I brag to my friends, we live in the best state in the whole country. And, and some of you can testify. I've told them that. And only the lucky are enough to even hope to live here, to be blessed by such a sweet place. And you know, I mean, why should any of us consider it incredible that God would create such an amazing place like Oregon? And I too, I've been convinced that by all possible means, I'm going to oppose anybody who thinks otherwise. You know, even my crazy wife got this idea in her head last fall that we're going to go to Hawaii. Hawaii, we live in the greatest state in the whole country. And opposer I did. Now, outwardly, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll be excited to go to Hawaii. But it wasn't on my top ten list of places to go, honestly. You know, so I tried to, you know, humor her. But inwardly, I was casting my vote against the Aloha State. And so from synagogue to synagogue, I mean, from, from friend to friend, I would talk about, you know, I'll go for Lisa's sake, but I won't like it. And one day I was kind of like that. I was griping with authority. And a friend came up to me, and it was about noon. 
And she slapped me across the face and she said, and, and I heard this voice in Aramaic, I mean in plain English, she said to me, Chris, Chris, why are you being such a pain in the can about Hawaii? You need to pull your head out, get over it and get excited about going. And so I was obedient to the voice and I repented and I went to Hawaii and I was converted. Magnum P.I. mustache and all. And the scale, something like scales fell from my eyes and I could see clearly the truth that Hawaii is awesome. You know, and with God's help to this day, I can stand here and testify to small and great alike. So I used to think Oregon was the best, but now, now I know the truth. Hawaii is the best. No, no, I'm not out of my mind. I'm speaking what is true and reasonable. And, you know, I know you believe those tourist ads, those AAA commercials. You believe them, don't you? I know that you do. And you might say, do you really think that in such a short time you're going to persuade me to go to Hawaii? Short or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who hear me here today can become what I am. Except for being too poor to go back to Hawaii anytime soon. <laughs> Okay, thank you. You've humored me. You're way too kind. But I do got a point to this, honestly. I got a point to this. Listen, you've been patient enough, so I'll, I'll answer though. What the question that you're asking right now? I just pulled a Paul from Acts 26. I just pulled a Paul. Now, Paul was talking about Jesus in Acts 26, and I was talking about Hawaii. But I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit was moving because some of you were on your iPhone doing your little applications, making reservations for spring break right now. The Spirit was moving. But seriously, I have a confession to make, and maybe you have this confession to make too. What is the deal with us being passionately, powerfully able to articulate about something exciting like Hawaii and wear it so easily on our sleeve, even flip-flops when it's like frosting outside? Why can we talk about Hawaii or the University of Kansas basketball team? or new home improvements we're doing, or this really super cool fad diet we're on. We're so passionate about those things, and we clam up about a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. What is the deal? Why do I struggle with that? Why do you struggle with that? What is the fear that keeps us from telling our story? Can anybody relate to me on this? So today we're going to look at the witness and example of Paul in Acts 26. And you'll forgive me, I've read ahead a little bit from where we've been reading in our readings daily. But I think that God wants to give us hope, not because Paul did something so extraordinary that none of us can relate to, but Paul just gives us a pattern of living. And time and time again, we see it in Paul's story in these latter chapters. Five, there was actually six riots, Jack, I think. Six riots in the book of Acts that he, that he ends up starting. But five times he comes to a defense of his faith to say, Hey, this is my story. And he's actually living out what First Peter says in First Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give a reason for the an answer for the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. So I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to Acts 26. If you want to use the blue Bibles that the church has, it's on page 1031, I think. Um, or you can use your own Bibles. I'd love for you to read along and, and maybe underline uh, really impressive lines that strike you. I'll just give you a minute to look it up and we'll read together Acts 26. Paul has been 
um, kind of saved from um, getting killed in Jerusalem. And he's in the custody of these Roman rulers, and he's been there for a couple years. And now he has an opportunity to speak to Festus and to King Agrippa. And he's actually appealed to Caesar, which means he said, as a Roman citizen, I have my day in court with Caesar. I want to be able to go and tell my story all the way to Rome. And that's where he's going, and, and he's pretty sure that he'll go there to die. So here's chapter 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself, Paul. He pretty much says, Paul, tell us your story. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself very fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? And Paul goes on, I too, though, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And, then, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. And we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul goes on, So then, King Agrippa, I was obedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then those in Jerusalem, and to all Judea, to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and they tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Well, at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul! He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. 
what I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has happened or escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long? I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Is that an amazing story? And it's the fifth time in, in, in even fewer chapters that Paul has stepped up with this kind of defense. And there's a bottom line to what he's trying to get across to his hearers, to the people he's talking about. His point is meeting Jesus changes everything. Meeting Jesus changes everything. And he had passion. He had conviction. He believed and he was not ashamed to say that the gospel, the good news, is the power for salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He wasn't ashamed to say that when you come to Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And, and because we go then as, as God's ambassadors, we're making his appeal to other people. Be reconciled to God. Be right with God. It was Paul's model of the power of the story that he just needed people to know that meeting Jesus changed everything. And so this pattern has much to teach us about what it means for us to know the power of a story. So there's some things I want to highlight. Jack did a great job, but I have a PowerPoint slide, so that must make it better. But just kidding, Jack. So here we go. Here's Paul's pattern. First, he knew his audience. Whether it was Paul in Athens speaking to the philosophical Greeks on Mars Hill or speaking to the Jewish mob in Jerusalem or to these these, uh, government leaders, Paul knew his audience. And then he knew the right words to say, to speak to their ears, to speak to their specific needs. He knew his audience and he met them in a place where they were at. And then he just told this story. He said, hey, this is who I am. And you know my resume. People can list my resume. People know my resume. I mean, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was out there killing Christians. I was the most intense Christian hater there was. That's who I was. And that's what I did. But then God did something different. And he tells God's story. I was met face to face by Jesus. And he knocked me off my horse. He slapped me across my face. And he spoke to me. And I was blind and then I could see. The scales fell off. And then through God's forgiveness, I knew I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be the one killing Christians. I was going to be the one defending the cause of Christ. All over this empire. First to the Jews and then to the non-Jews. And now I'm on a mission. Next he just says, I've had a life change. I've added the difference that Jesus has made in my life. I have a mission to go. And listen to those words. To open the eyes of the Gentiles and my own people. To turn them from darkness to light. To turn them from the power of Satan to God. So that they may receive forgiveness. So that they have a place to belong. Paul went with a passion with his new mission. And every time that Paul talks, that story he shares, his story demands a response. Festus interrupts him and says, Dude, you're crazy! No, I'm not crazy. I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. King Agrippa, you believe the prophets, don't you? 
King Agrippa's got to come face to face with. Do you really think that just you talking today is going to make me a Christian? Paul's story demands a response. Paul's pattern of sharing his story should give us hope. Not just a challenge, but hope that this is something we can do. This is something we can do. And I also, I want you to not do what I sometimes do in my head. Because I might say, you know, this pattern, it is great for Paul. It probably works for Billy Graham, maybe for Pastor Bob, maybe with Lions. But I could never do those kind of things. I'm just, I'm full, I'm full of fear. Too scared. I think I can relate to that. I think Paul could relate to that. He was going to get killed for his faith. But still, he told the story. So, help me out. What are the fears that we have? When it comes to thinking about sharing our faith in Jesus, what are the fears that we have? Tell me. Someone, talk out. Yes. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Right. So their ears and their hearts are closed. But yeah, they don't want to hear it. Yes. So you're, you're inadequate to tell it. Yeah. Somehow, I don't got what it takes to tell it well. Thank you. Other things. I'm going to offend somebody. If I offend somebody, they're going to not talk to me anymore. Other things? Thank you. Not knowing enough to answer questions. Yeah, I, I ain't smart enough. Yeah. I'm not going to have the answers to all their questions. I'm going to get rejected. Well, here, we'll put... The, thank you for the start of that list. We'll put the, the rest of the stuff that you guys said most of it. I'm going to be rejected. They're going to just say, talk to the hand. I'm not going to have all the answers. I don't know enough. It's a taboo top topic. You can't talk about religion and, or, or politics. And maybe people are going to confront me about being a bit of a hypocrite, that my life isn't going to match the story that I'm trying to get across. Maybe I'm going to fail God. All those things. Those guys, those are real, those are real fears. We need to say it. And they're based in reality, and we've felt the twins of those things. But... I gotta, I gotta encourage you that I think Paul speaks with his pattern to those kind of things. Because when you say, hey, this is my story of how Jesus has met me face to face, or how I've experienced the love of God in my life, can someone really reject your story? Does someone get to say to me, oh no, you say you like Hawaii, but you don't like Hawaii. Well, that's my experience, man. I love Hawaii. I got flip flops on. People can't really reject your story. And you, by the way, are an expert of your own story. You know all you need to know about your own story. Nobody else knows your own story better than you know your own story. You're there. You're an eyewitness to it. You can say, hey, this is what happened. This is my story. Now, maybe we need to be sensitive around issues of religion and sensitivity, absolutely, so that there's not taboo. And maybe we do need to be sensitive to, to say, well, I, I want to be able to have my verbal witness of my faith match the witness of my life. That's true. Those are good things to be challenged on. But it shouldn't be crippling fear that keeps us from ever talking about Jesus. And so today, I want to encourage you to think about this fact, that if the, if the story of Jesus is the greatest story ever told then your story of meeting Jesus for the first time, or maybe meeting Jesus and his miracle for you the hundredth time, that's really the second greatest story ever told. I heard that once and I liked it. Check it out. Your meeting Jesus, is, if his story and the story of Scripture is the greatest story ever told, then your coming face-to-face with that life-changing love of God is the second greatest story ever told. 
And if that's true, then we can be passionate and confident in communicating it. So there are three things I want to encourage you to remember if that's true. And based on the pattern of Paul, I think this can be true of our pattern as well. First, try to know your audience. Maybe there's friends that you know are open to spiritual conversations. Pray for them. Maybe you have a friend who's struggling with issues of doubt. Open up and talk about doubt in your own life. Maybe you have a friend who's struggling with issues of loss or grief or uncertainty. Well, put on the table about times that you've been in that place or maybe you're still in that place, but you're trusting it to God. Know your audience and build it on relationship. Meet them where they're at. People who need to hear about Jesus, I mean, it's everybody in the room. And none of us are projects. We should be people who are approached with care. So first, try to know your audience. Second, then just tell your story. This is what happened to me, Chris Lyons. And a little pattern that I've heard, this is helpful. You can just talk about before Christ or before the circumstance or the challenge in your life and how God showed up. And then after the day that God showed up, how was it different? How are you different? So I can tell people, you know, when I was a little kid growing up in Salt Lake City, I didn't think that God knew my name. I believed there was a guy who lived in a cloud in the middle of the universe who ran everything with a big supercomputer and did that with the cables for everybody's prayers, you know. But I never, ever thought that he would have known my name or cared about me as a person. And so when I heard that truth about the gospel, I wanted to get to know that kind of God. And God met me in that place And I was different, and I was changed, and I was part of a community that explored that. That's my story. Nobody can tell me that didn't happen to me. That happened to me. Before that situation, how God showed up and after. I get to uh, tell uh, people about what happened with my dad's situation this fall when he got so sick, and three times we almost lost him. And again, I cannot understand why God answers prayers in some ways, and God doesn't answer prayers in other ways. But God brought my dad back from the grave. And he's flying down this Tuesday to spend the week with us. I'm so pumped to hang out with him. So I can tell people, well, before this challenge, it looked like this. We might lose my dad. And God showed up. And now after that day, there's been a difference. Tell your story. Think through, how would I tell my story? If someone were to ask you, oh, so you go to Christ Church? Well, tell me, what's it like to go to Christ Church? What's it like to be a Christian? You can tell your story. You can do this. So first... Try to know your audience. Second, tell your story. And third, trust God. Trust God. Be prepared to be able to tell your story. But then mostly, be prayerful as you tell your story. You know, in Matthew 10, Jesus told his followers, and he actually said this to Paul in Acts 9 as well. Jesus told his followers, you are going to stand before governors and kings, but do not worry about what you will say, because the Spirit of the Father will speak through you. When we go with our story, we don't go alone. God is with us and for us to let us know the pressure is off. It's up to the Holy Spirit. And all we have to do is respond to the opportunity and trust it to God. To just trust it to God. So first, if we try to know our audience, second, we tell our story, and third, we trust it to God, we can know the power of our story for Jesus. And we can be convinced it's the second greatest story ever told. And we can also know that the people in our lives... They're aching to know. They're aching to know if anybody out there has got a word of hope of a real-life God showing up in real-life ways. You know what? My friends, this is called evangelism. 
Evangelism's got a bad name in some ways, understandably, but it just means good news, good newsing someone with your words as well as your actions. And I read uh, one guy talked about evangelism is just letting the love of Jesus be the music to dance to in our lives. And listen to how he goes on. The refrain of this evangelistic symphony is this. Life is more. It is more than mundane existence. It is more than planning for the future. It is more than catering to myself. This is not the evangelism of indictment, but of invitation. Not of addition, you know, just growing your church bigger, but of belonging. Not of preaching, but of demonstration. Of living a good story that leads you to the chance to tell a good story. To tell your story with power. So what's success look like? What does it mean to be successful in sharing the power of your story? Does it mean that all of a sudden people are going to drop their knees and their lives are going to be changed immediately? Well, maybe. Do you think Festus and Agrippa that day, the lights came on, the scales fell off, and they said, hey, let's go be Christians. The text does not lead us to think that should, that happened. So what does success look like? My friends, success is faithfulness with the opportunities that God gives us. Just to tell your story. Success is faithfulness with the opportunities that God gives us. So I was reflecting on this week. I'm like, well, gosh, this past week, you know, what, what did God do as far as giving me opportunities, you know? And, and at first I was a little bit bummed. It wasn't like, you know, 60 kids just dropped their knees and like, oh, you know, I'm ready to come to Jesus. Thank you for your amazing words, Chris. I'm like, yeah, I'm humble too. No, it didn't happen like that. But in some ways it actually happened more powerfully, just reflecting on the little opportunities that God's given me. This past week, I was on retreat with 11 middle school boys, and I'm walking. (laughs) Biggest miracle, right? And actually, one of those boys on the way home, he just opened up and started crying about stuff going on in his life. And we could just, me and the other people in the car, just speak hope to him. I called a, a friend, a former student yesterday, to wish her a happy birthday. And the first thing she asked about was my dad. And so I got to just talk about the miracle that's going on there. I had lunch with a very good friend this week, and we were just talking about um, our gratitude to God because we've been given some great trips with our family, Hawaii, and he was talking about uh, his trip to D.C., and we are just like, God is so good to give us, I mean, God was praised. I had a friend, a high schooler who, uh, here who interviewed me on Friday, and she was asking me about my job for a school project, and she asked me, well, why do you do it? Why do you do this job? And I got to actually reflect on it. All of us should ask that question. Why do I follow Jesus? Why do I take opportunities to tell other people he's made a difference? Because you know what? God first loved me, so I'm going to love others through the power of a story. And nothing gives me more life than being part of the process in which I see someone encouraged to love God a little bit more and follow a little bit more closely. You know, when we share the power of our story, people's lives are changed. And they're aching to know there's a real God wanting to meet us in real life ways. My friends, let me tell you, there's nothing so great as the power of your story. It is so much better than Hawaii. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Father, it's true that we do encounter fear and doubt and a whole list of reasons why we why we hesitate to share our story with our friends. But help us know and trust that you are setting up divine appointments, opportunities for us just to speak, 
to, to, to know our audience and to tell our story and to trust it all to you. And that in and through our sharing, and just being real about what it means to follow you, that you're going to be real to others as well. Lord, we know you cry out through creation and that there's no one else like you. And so let us live lives where people see you active in life in our stories. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.